0: No foreplay this week. Let's get right to it. It's a Miles Sanders Dance Party! (laughs) Boom! League winner. Oh, but what about the cramps? The cramps! Oh crap Oh he wasn't an RB1 every single week Oh Miles Sanders has a nose ring And an 84th percentile agility score Better than Josh Jacobs He's the real deal, and looks like a Vander Holyfield. I thought Doug Baderson ran a running back committee. What happened, Doug? He's just that good. Top 15 in red zone touches, and top 15 in running back receptions. That's how you score fantasy points. If you played Miles Sanders, you're in the fantasy football championship this week. You don't even want to know who else was available in the fifth and sixth rounds of fantasy drafts. None of those players were named Miles Sanders. If you don't have Miles Sanders, you better ask somebody that does. This is the longest dance party of all time, and I've lost my voice. Ah. It feels good to have a real dance party, not a party for projected opportunity like the Brian Hill dance party. With Miles Sanders, we had the right process, and with Miles Sanders, we got the right results. You just had to wait a week. That's all. You had to persevere through week 14 and keep pushing the button. Worst case, you somehow survived week 14 starting Miles Sanders and then benched him heading into week 15 because you just couldn't take it anymore. You wouldn't be burned again by Miles Sanders. So you decided to burn yourself benching him in week 15 against Washington. It's not about chasing. We're not here to chase last week's production. Kenyon Drake, four touchdowns. Brashad Perriman, three touchdowns. Big deal. Doesn't matter. It's football. Jonas Gray had 199 yards and four touchdowns in a game, and he was cut the following week. So get the fuck out of here, waving around last week's fantasy point total as some indicator of what the player is going to do next week. We don't point chase. We evaluate the player and their upcoming situation, and we project accordingly. We play Or bench players accordingly. And that also applies to Justin Watson. No Mike Evans. No Chris Godwin. No Scott Miller. That leaves Justin Watson. We saw this happen in New York. No Sterling Shepard. No Golden Tate. No Evan Ingram. Who has two touchdowns. Well of course. Darius Slayton has two touchdowns. Given the player's talent profile. The team situation. And the game environment. And something even Fantasy Point Friendlier is set up for Justin Watson this Saturday afternoon. No college football, thank God. Fuck out of here with your college football. Give me the pros and give me Texans at Tampa. No winter weather, 74 degrees and sunny with a 50-point game total. And Jameis Winston proving that a broken hand will not stop him from throwing for over 300 yards, and now make it Houston secondary. Now make it Vernon Hargreaves and co. What do you think Justin Watson is going to do against Vernon Hargreaves this week? Think about it. Justin Watson was burning Vernon Hargreaves throughout training camp. You don't think he knows how to get leverage on Vernon Hargreaves? But you can feel bitter. You can feel disappointed. Even though no one told you to start Justin Watson in seasonal leagues last week. Justin Watson was a fringe upside play wide receiver lineup maker who was particularly attractive in tournaments. In fact, those with access to our projections would have played Brashad Perriman, but Brashad Perriman was more expensive in DFS and that salary gap has widened this week and Perriman and Watson will log 100% snap shares. There's no one else on this team. Well, there is technically there is a third receiver on the Buccaneers. Technically, his name is Ishmael Hyman. I'm not making that up. So based on target conservation alone, you're playing Brashad Perriman. You're playing Justin Watson. You're boosting Ronald Jones. You're boosting OJ Howard. OJ Howard is cash viable this week. Oh, yes. Oh, but he didn't produce big numbers last week. I don't care about last week. I don't care about the Brashad Perriman three touchdowns any more than I care about OJ Howard's underwhelming yardage total or Justin Watson's underwhelming target total. None of that matters. We're now looking at week 16, a surefire shootout in Tampa, featuring Tampa's pass-first system with Justin Watson in a starting role. Not only a starting role, a featured role. Justin Watson's going to be playing the Chris Godwin role in this offense. And Brashad Perriman's going to be playing the Mike Evans role, which is why I believe Justin Watson will outproduce Brashad Perriman this week. And the zombie slaves to last week's box score are rolling their eyes, and I don't care. It's not my fault that you suffer from fantasy PTSD, and you can't get over what happened last week. You can't get it out of your head. It's not my fault you can't get bad beats and boom or bust performances from last week out of your head because if anything the boom performance last week's a red flag because what happens the opposing defensive coordinator and all the defensive personnel scheduled to play that team the following week they see the tape all those Houston Texans they saw those three Brashad Perriman touchdowns don't you think the Texans safeties are going to be acutely aware of Brashad Perriman's presence after what he did last week why do you think wide receiver production is so volatile because opposing safeties suffer from the same nearsighted PTSD that you, the fantasy gamer, do. They're not going to see Justin Watson coming. No one sees him coming. Just go to Prediction Strike, predictionstrike.com. Use your promo code Underworld. Get $10 in free Prediction Strike dollars to invest in any player after you first invest in Justin Watson. You invest in Keelan Cole last week, that worked out pretty well. The Keelan Cole play was the same as the Justin Watson play, only weaker. Imagine Keelan Cole this week if DeeDee Westbrook suffered a serious hamstring injury in week 15. How much would we like Keelan Cole this week? Well, that's how much you should like Justin Watson! I'm a proud Keelan Cole truther, but I'm even prouder about my conviction in Justin Watson's ability. And normally we would have a Justin Watson dance party in advance. Just in case he doesn't produce like we did with Brian Hill, but we just have too many dance parties scheduled. We can't fit in a Justin Watson dance party in the same show as a Miles Sanders dance party. The Justin Watson dance party is going to have to wait until next week. Why am I so upset? There's no reason to be upset because I'm entering the FFPC's playoff challenge at the start of the NFL playoffs. The FFPC's playoff challenge is the best fantasy football contest centered around the NFL playoffs with a $50,000 grand prize. Just go to myffpc.com, click on the Playoff Challenge link, learn all about it, and you will want to enter. I challenge you to enter. For years, I've wondered, is anyone going to figure out how to make fantasy football fun again during the NFL playoffs and the FFPC finally crack that code? just like I cracked the code on Monkey Knife Fight. I'll never do better than Chris Carson, Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, or Chris Carson, Christian McCaffrey, DK Metcalf, whichever you preferred last week. They all worked because Carson and McCaffrey scored four touchdowns between them. You are so, so, so very welcome. We have been inundated this year with praise, with thank yous, acknowledgements of the hard work, done at player profiler to get so many of you in the fantasy playoffs, win you money in DFS, and now winning you money on Monkey Knife Fight. I couldn't do it without Peter Howard, and Eric McClung, and Mike Randall, and Patrick Murphy, and Frank Lakatos and Alexandra Capibuanco, and Corey Alexander, and Nick Coder, Michael Stitcher, and Coleman Barr, and Craig Wambold, Josh Larkey, Ryan Lopes, Sean McClure, Ray Marzarella, Nick Myers... Cody Wilhelm, Greg Burke, Peter Inglanera, Matt Gajewski, Josh Crocker, Tyler Strong, Jesse Reeves, Zach Kruger, Alex Johnson, Taylor Smith, Matt Stevens, Kyle Dvorchak, Granola Jeremy. That's a pseudonym. All our analysts, all our writers, all our editors, all the data experts. It sometimes feels like it's just me, but it wouldn't be possible without this incredible team of people behind me, supporting me. I am eternally grateful to them. And I'm also grateful to the sponsors of playerprofiler.com, the sponsors of this podcast. They make it possible. The show is only free because of the sponsors. You do know that. If you've enjoyed 12 months of Roto Underworld content, then you are obliged to go to Monkey Knife Fight and set up an account using the promo code UNDERWORLD. You're obliged to go to Prediction Strike. Use the promo code UNDERWORLD. You're not obliged to spend a lot of money. You're just obliged to set up accounts. You can just deposit five bucks. That's all that is required to show your appreciation and to help keep the lights on and ensure that this show comes back free of charge next season. We also couldn't do this show without our guests. And boy, do I have a special guest for you today. The number one helicopter pilot on Fantasy Twitter. That's right. I'm talking about Ian Harditz. I call him Hard Tits from Roto World. Be sure to follow him at IHeartITZ on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. Ian Hardtits. That's right, Ian Hardtits. He is now at Roto World. He's one of those guys that's telling you who's questionable and who's been taken off the injury report he is a hero for our time, one of the hardest working, best social media fantasy personalities in the business, a fast rising senior fantasy analyst over at Roto World, Ian Tits, Talk to me.
1: Thanks for having me on again, Matt. I remember the first time I came on this pod a couple years ago. I think you asked how to say my last name before we started and then completely ignored my advice and called me hard Tits. So I love it, man. Feel free to just go with tits. That's fine. Just don't forget to put the Z there. Otherwise, it gets weird. So
0: No, it's not weird at all. You're Ian Hardtits, and I fucking love it. I also (laughs) love Christian McCaffrey. Can you imagine a world where Christian McCaffrey had Kurt Warner or Peyton Manning as his quarterback instead of Kyle fucking Allen?
1: I was wondering this last week, man, because right now, McCaffrey, one of four running backs ever to average 29 PPR per game in a season. The other guys were Marshall Falk with Kurt Warner. Priest Holmes with Trent Green. LaDainian Thomason with Phillip Rivers. All of those offenses were number one scoring offenses in the league. Kyle Allen the Panthers are 16th. He's 34th among 41 quarterbacks in just yards per attempt. And yet, a good portion of the Twitter community thought he was the answer after he got lucky and went 4-0, beat the Cardinals, Buccaneers, a bunch of other trash secondaries. I will never forgive Kyle Allen for what he's done to Curtis Samuel this season. And uh, the fact McCaffrey and DJ Moore have managed to uh, overcome their quarterback plays. You know, a, te- a testament to how good those guys are.
0: Oh, a testament. Those are some of the top talents in the NFL. Christian McCaffrey may be the best player in the NFL overall and DJ Moore one of the best wide receivers. They compare Christian McCaffrey to Marshall Falk, but Marshall Falk had Kurt Warner and Peyton Manning as his quarterbacks throughout his career. He's never had to operate in a Kyle Allen-led offense. And Saquon Barkley is in a similar situation. Eli Manning last year, Daniel Jones this year, and now back with Eli Manning. But Saquon Barkley was the 101 based on ADP coming into this season after receiving huge volume, particularly in the passing game, from Eli Manning, not Daniel Jones last year. So is this a coincidence that Saquon Barkley has reemerged in fantasy football, with Eli
1: Manning under center? Nah, I think it's just they played the Dolphins defense and he was finally able to go nuts. He's just playing hurt, man. We were talking a little bit before the show about Saquon, Kamara, Tevin Coleman, some of these other running backs that returned from these high ankle sprains. and David Johnson?
0: Oh, God.
1: You still see Saquon. He has these moments in the game where he makes three dudes miss with some of his you know, crazy agility and jukes, but the burst just isn't there, man. We're not seeing the same long runs. I mean, last year he was hitting 15 plus yard runs at a 7.7% clip this year is down to 2.8%. So yeah, the pass game volume has been down generally this year, but it's also kind of been down with Eli at quarterback. I think it's more just him being a little bit banged up and, you know, I know Saquon was the consensus number one man, but I, I was always on McCaffrey and I was wrong on plenty of other guys, but I did think it was McCaffrey here just because he was the only guy that had a realistic shot at leading this team and rushing and receiving I know Saquon had a big role last year, but with Shepard, with Tate, with Ingram, there's way more uncertainty in this Giants offense than there was in Carolina.
0: I thought Christian McCaffrey was the clear number one, specifically in PPR leagues. For sure. And we asked this question on a perpetual loop this offseason. Why Saquon Barkley is the consensus 101? Why? 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 Why not McCaffrey? Why not McCaffrey? Why not, McCaffrey? Why not even Ezekiel Elliott in standard leagues? Why is Saquon so clearly the consensus, and now we're seeing it. Now we're seeing that that was wrong, that the fantasy community was wrong. It was Christian McCaffrey all along. Are those that have been touting uh, Patrick Laird wrong? Is that hype machine about to be shut down permanently because his touch count dropped in week 15?
1: Yeah, it wasn't just the touches either, man. It was the snaps. He hit 82% snaps in week 14. That's every down, and he had the touches to go along with it. Last week, you know, him and Gaskins pretty much split it. And uh-uh. all these guys have been awful in this offense this year because their offensive line is terrible. I mean, PFF's dead last worst offensive line uh, just in terms of rushing run block and grade. And we're seeing it in the years before contact. Kalen Ballage, look, obviously Ballage is awful. But, I mean, all right, why did Kenyon Drake average 3.7 yards per carry on the Dolphins? Now he's at, like, 4.9 on the Cardinals. I mean, there's only so much these guys can do. I don't think Patrick Laird is, you know, even an NFL average talent. And if you take away the workload behind this O-line, yes, hype machine is definitely down. I don't know that ever should have really been up. But, again, I don't think it's any one of these individual running backs' fault. I I would like to see Saquon Barkley in this offense. I don't think things be going much better for them. I think it's just... A terrible system for everyone involved, except Devontae Parker, who all he needs is just jump balls down the sideline, which you know you can create with any offensive line. So,
0: And Ryan Fitzpatrick's happy to deliver on that. Yeah, that's a great skill fit right there. The things I like to do align perfectly with the things you like to do when you look at Ryan Fitzpatrick paired with Devontae
1: Parker. How many wide receivers is this now that Fitzpatrick has just gotten paid? You know, Brandon Marshall with the Jets. There's a lot of similarities between Marshall and Parker. Yeah. Just who is willing to toss it up to him? We thought that could be Jay Cutler, but just happened happened to need Ryan Fitzmagic.
0: If you're starting a franchise today, would you prefer Miles Sanders or Josh Jacobs? This was a major topic of conversation in Dynasty.
1: Uh, I'm going Miles Sanders at this point. And, you know, I assume we're doing this with a neutral team. And going in this year, yeah, I thought Jacobs was a three down back. That's what Gruden told us. That's what Mayock told us. That's what You know, his Alabama tape seemed to show us. I don't know anymore. It seems like he can catch the ball. He does fine when he's given chances to, but here we are in week 15 and Jalen Rashard, Deontay Washington have more targets than him. He's getting pulled off the field on passing downs. Again, I think Jacobs is capable of being a good three down back, but we know Miles Sanders is. He's been out there. He had an 85% snap rate for three weeks before Boston Scott kind of got involved, higher than any running back Doug Peterson's ever given it to. I mean, some of the highlights he's had this year in blitz pickups are ridiculous. Wheel routes, lining up as a true wide receiver. We know Miles Sanders can be a very good three-down back in this league. I know Josh Jacobs is a very good runner. We don't know about the other parts. So give me the guy that has proven it at the NFL level.
0: Miles Sanders is definitively an NFL bell cow. Now, Josh Jacobs is a theoretical bell cow, but we haven't seen it yet. The answer is Miles Sanders. The Potfather told you this. Now Ian Hardtitz is telling you this. Dynasty Leaguers, we got him. We got him. We won! (laughs) We ran out the clock on the Josh Jacobs. (laughs) Dynasty 101 Zombies, we won!
1: But is playing Miles Sanders this week point chasing in DFS? No, I don't think so. As long as Jordan Howard uh, remains sidelined. And I, I don't think Howard would necessarily come back in and command this double-digit touch role, especially, you know, come back from a shoulder injury. I mean, he hasn't been cleared for contact yet, so I find it hard to believe they're just going to, you know, run him into the teeth of this Cowboys defense. Boston Scott, he has been involved. With that said, Sanders, 22.5 combined carries and targets over these last two games. I mean, who else are they going to give the ball to on this offense? With Jeffrey gone, you know, it's just all these injuries, at wide receiver, they need Sanders to be on the field. He's versatile enough to line up multiple positions. Uh, you know, price tags obviously up. They got no one else, man. They got Zach Ertz and no one else to throw the ball to. They have to use him. It's
0: process of elimination. Exactly. Right? I mean, whatever you think of his talent level and whether he deserves to be a bell cow or not, he deserves targets over JJ or Sega Whiteside. You have to at least agree on that. You have to at least agree that Miles Sanders is a better football player than J.J. Arcega-White. Sigh. So. We got him! We got him! He's not even expensive. I expected DraftKings to correct the price to move him up higher, faster this week. They didn't. They've kept him priced down. I don't get it.
1: Seeing where he's at. Oh, 60. So, my one thing with him, like, why are we paying up at 6,400 for Miles Sanders when we have Melvin Gordon in a better matchup at 5,600? That's my only hesitation. Why not have both?
0: The difference is you have a true bell cow with an all purpose skill set. That's why you would play Miles Sanders at home against a more difficult defense than Marlon Mack at 6.2K. He's less expensive, and Melvin Gordon at home against Oakland at 5.6 K. I agree. Melvin Gordon is the better overall value. And I think you could use him in cash. I don't love the Melvin Gordon ceiling. He needs to score multiple times to be someone that you're excited about in tournaments. So Melvin Gordon's more of a salary saver in cash where Miles Sanders is the guy I wanna use in tournaments because we saw the ceiling and there's no reason to think that that ceiling can't just continue as long as the touch distribution is consolidated in Philadelphia. Until they get new receivers and Jordan Howard returns,
1: I think we can go right back to Miles Sanders. Is Kenyon Drake point chasing? He's the same price. Well, now I'm now I'm looking at it. Why not go up to 66 and get Mixon, who probably has the highest touch floor of them all and probably the best matchup at the Dolphins. So there's a lot of guys in this, you know, 66 to 56 range that i think you can fill your lineup with it's definitely a week where i think you can get these slightly lower priced running backs and you know pay up a wide receiver if you want to
0: i think that's the move in tournaments is to pay down certainly in cash games i understand the zeal for a christian McCaffrey as always chris carson of course saquon barkley now his tackle evasion skills have returned Going to Washington. So I understand the case, especially for Carson and McCaffrey, but in this sixty-six to fifty six hundred dollar zone from Melvin Gordon up to Joe Mixon, a lot of attractive options, as you said. Joe Mixon has looked good. Joe Mixon is the ultimate case for digging deeper than the box score because his offensive line has been almost as bad as. Patrick Laird, and Miles Gaskin's offensive line. And yet, he's commanding the fullest opportunity share. He's getting as many touches as he can handle in what is one of the worst offenses. So if you actually watch the games, this is one of those cases where I don't watch the games, but I talk to people that watch the games, and the Roto Underworld analysts that watch the Bengals tell me week in, week out, Joe Mixon is a guy you want to trade for in Dynasty. They're using him everywhere. He looks electric. And if they can upgrade the supporting cast, Joe Mixon will be unlocked. Yeah. He has a top five running back skill set.
1: He was the only bright spot in that offense during that, you know, four game Ryan Finley era. And it was just unwatchable hurting him. He kept making plays despite everything around him being atrocious. The only issue with Mixon early on the season was that they were using him and Geo like low-key at almost a 50-50 split. It wasn't so much in touches, but at least in snaps in the pass game opportunity. I mean, Mixon only had three or more targets in three games from weeks one through 12. Now, each of the last three weeks since Dalton came back, he's cleared that three receptions in every single one. So we know he can catch the ball. We saw it at Oklahoma. We've seen it previously in his career. They just haven't always gotten him super involved in that game. I agree with you. If they want to feature him as a true workhorse, he's definitely got the skill set. Like We have seen that. We know that. It's just a matter of will he get it consistently. Moving forward, yeah, I don't see why not.
0: He's averaging 23 fantasy points per game the last three weeks. He's gone over 130 rushing yards the last two weeks. One of those games was against New England. This is all negative game script. New England, blowout loss. Browns, loss. And yet... Joe Mixon is producing. Why is he producing? Because he's been incredibly efficient. Just look at the yards per carry. Don't look past the yards per carry. Just look at the yards per carry. He's generating a 5.8 yards per carry the last two weeks with breakaway runs, with tackle evasion, because it's certainly not the system that is opening up wide running lanes for Joe Mixon. That's not it, man. He's just not scoring. He's not catching a lot of passes, but he's going to have one of those games Perhaps in the next two weeks, where he goes out and catches six, seven, eight passes. That's absolutely in his range of outcomes. And as soon as Dynasty Leaguers see that, they're going to boost him right back into the top 10 running backs if he's not there already. So you need to act fast to get Joe Mixon now. You also need to get Joe Mixon before the Bengals acquire another Joe. Because we talk about what a hero. Christian McCaffrey is producing in spite of Kyle Allen. Joe Mixon is producing in spite of Ryan Findlay and Andy Dalton. What happens when Joe Mixon's quarterback is Joe Burrow? Get Joe Mixon in Dynasty. He is your number one trade target right now. This is your assignment, Dynasty leaguers. Open up your Dynasty app, find the team with Joe Mixon, and submit an offer that will be very difficult to refuse do it do it now so you're starting a franchise today you want miles sanders over josh jacobs that's the correct answer starting a franchise today you have two receivers with bad hamstrings (laughs) so we're gonna have to craft this question so the age does not bias the question you need to make the playoffs in 2020 If you don't make the playoffs in 2020, you're banned from the league. You're blackballed. You're the general manager version of Colin Kaepernick if you don't make the playoffs. (laughs) Ian, who do you want at wide receiver? You want
1: Mike Evans? You want Chris Godwin? I want Mike Evans. And I know you love Chris Godwin. I know everyone loves Chris Godwin. God, the amount of victory laps I've seen on Chris Godwin this year. We all knew this was coming for Chris Godwin because... Of all the available targets in this offense and the comfy slot role that we've seen Bruce Arians use with Larry Fitzgerald in the past.
0: Comfy. I like that. The comfy slot role. That implies that Mike
1: Evans is doing the difficult work outside. Absolutely. It's the same thing we saw in Pittsburgh last year with Juju and AB. I'm still not convinced that Juju can't be a number one receiver. He hasn't really gotten a chance to do it this year, but I think that same question still lingers for Goblin. What could he be without a generational wide receiver like Mike Evans? And I'm so sorry for using that word. I hate when people say generational. No, I
0: love it. I love it. No, no, no. Just when it starts to go out of fashion, that's when we bring it back. (laughs) Saquon Barkley, absolutely a generational talent who's playing injured. And Mike Evans is a generational, one-dimensional, outside bully receiver. He is that. He's the best at that. That thing that he does, using that elite body control to convert on contested catches on the outside, and then fall down at the catch point. No, the other stuff, the, the positives. That's stuff we haven't seen at that level maybe ever. But I don't agree with you that the pick is Mike Evans. If I'm starting a franchise today, I want maximum versatility. I want a queen chess piece wide receiver. That's Chris Godwin. And the numbers back it up in 2019. If you're starting a franchise today, on the other side, so you have Mike Evans in your case, Chris Godwin in my case, you have a choice on the other side of the formation.
1: You want A.J. Brown or D.J. Moore? I'm going with D.J. Moore, and I know A.J. Okay. Brown's been absolutely crushing it the last few weeks.
0: He's been crushing it. Recency bias would have gone with A.J. Brown.
1: Clearly, the guy just needs targets, and he's going to produce with it, but I think the same thing is true for D.J.
0: Moore. They're similar players, man. Just like Chris Godwin and Juju Smith-Schuster are similar players, as you mentioned, A.J. Brown and D.J. Moore are similar. Similar age, similar efficiency, similar playing styles. It's why this is such a goddamn great question.
1: (laughs) It is a great question. I love this one stat, next gen uh, stats always puts out where they calculate like the yards after the catch players are expected to have. So then you can look at what they actually had, take the difference and see who is performing just way outside of expectations. And AJ Brown and DJ Moore are literally going to finish like so last year, DJ Moore, and this year, AJ Brown. Are two of the top five receivers, pretty much in their database, when it comes to just consistently producing after the catch. So after George Kittle and just some of these other monsters, so
0: and Chris Godwin,
1: yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but look, here's my big thing with DJ Moore. You know, I mentioned earlier how Kyle Allen just ridiculous what he's done to Curtis Samuel uh, on deep balls. It's been DJ Moore too, man. I mean, there's been 64 players with at least 10 deep ball targets this year. None of them have under 30 percent catchable. And two of those guys are Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore, both of them all season routinely break free downfield and Kyle Allen cannot even put the ball in their general vicinity. Luckily, DJ Moore is talented enough to make all this living on short underneath passes that, you know, pretty much I any quarterback except Cam Newton when his foot should be in surgery underneath a doctor's knife can pull off. So DJ Moore has had to deal with Cam for six games last year when he couldn't throw a pass, more than 20 yards downfield. Then he had a foot injury to start the year, and then he had Kyle freaking Allen. No one has done more over the last two seasons a worse quarterback play than D.J. Moore.
0: Speaking of Curtis Samuel, is he a trap this week? Because he's cheap, 4.5K on
1: DraftKings. I feel like he's just been a trap almost every week. Have you noticed these, uh, how they're kind of using him lately, though? Talk to us. Tell us. Put my conspiracy hat on. I think Curtis Samuel is Christian McCaffrey's handcuff. Like I'm not saying he would get 15 to 20 carries per game if McCaffrey went down, but there's no way we're going to see Reggie freaking Bonafone featured when Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore and these guys are more than capable of getting rush attempts on their own. Mike Davis? You don't want to see Mike Davis back there? I don't don't send Mike Davis back to Chicago. I don't freaking care about that, dude. Look, Curtis Samuel has spent more snaps in in the true running back the last two weeks than he did the entire season beforehand. Don't forget, this guy was a complete stud playing true running back at Ohio State. That's who right. I've heard is a pretty good football program producing NFL talent. So the fact that he hasn't gotten a chance here because they have Christian freaking McCaffrey, yeah, I don't blame them for not wanting to take McCaffrey out of the backfield. They rarely ever do. But, you know, Samuel, I, I I think he's a trap this week. Kyle Allen can't give him the ball. It's too inconsistent with the tight end being there as well. And that's before we even mention Will Greer is going to be starting probably, and who knows what that's going to entail. So,
0: I'm excited for the Will Greer era. I think that Curtis Samuel is the Joe Mixon of wide receivers and that this is a player you have to go get. He's younger than people think, and the quarterback situation is destined to improve next year, especially for a player like Curtis Samuel who operates on the outside. He himself will experience growth and development, and the supporting cast around him will help to buoy him in 2020, all signs are pointing up. All lights are flashing green for Curtis Samuel. Go get him. If somehow, some way, someone has both Mixon and Samuel in Dynasty, make that package happen.
1: Go get him. Remember in this offseason, like Curtis and DJ were priced or not priced, but you know, their average draft position was way apart, kind of like in June. And then as we all hammered that, they became real close in ADP as the season started. I think we're just going to see that same exact thing play out next year. Yeah, DJ is going to be a top three-round receiver. He deserves to be, but Curtis is going to be the true discount and get him post-hype everywhere. I'm with you.
0: Incredible value play over the next nine months, Curtis Samuel. Now, I thought that Leonard Fournette was a value play facing the Raiders last week because I imagined it in my mind's eye as a Gardner-Minshew get-right game because I fell for the narrative that this is a swaggering quarterback with the 70s disco ball <laughs> costume coming off the plane. This was the second coming of Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he just struggled against some difficult defenses, and that this was a get-right game, and that Vegas had it wrong. Vegas had the game total and the line wrong. It turns out they did have the line wrong. They didn't have the game total wrong. So I was right that the Jaguars could win that game. I was wrong about the game total. It wasn't the junk shootout I was hoping for, and therefore Leonard Fournette underwhelmed. Did you fall for that narrative too? Did you have too much Leonard Fournette last week?
1: I didn't have a ton of Fournette. I was more in on DD Westbrook, thinking that, you know, with DJ Chark out, that Westbrook could kind of be mm-hmm. that number one in the great matchup in a, you know, sneaky potential shootout spot. All
0: right. So we were both wrong about a guy in that game.
1: Yeah, exactly. And yeah, no, it's a fair point with Minshew. Like he might just not have that ceiling.
0: He's a sixth round rookie. We forgot. We forgot. It was the chest hair and the sunglasses. (laughs) And I forgot he was a sixth round fucking rookie.
1: So are you giving up on Minshew moving forward? You don't like anything?
0: I don't know, man. He really broke my heart, Ian. (laughs) I had way too much for that. God damn you. He was really bad. How could you be that bad against the Raiders? You can't produce until there's four minutes left in the game.
1: Look, man, I'm saying, yeah, that sucked last week. But if Minshew's going to be there, if Minshew's going to be their starting quarterback next year, oh. underrated receiving corp, and one of very few quarterbacks that actually averages, you know, 25 rushing yards per game. Minshew runs on a little bit, and I would, I would really like to see him in a more friendly scheme than just hand the ball to Leonard Fournette 25 times
0: again. I agree. Underrated wide receiver corp led by DJ Chark next season. So if he is the starter, he's set up for success. What about this week? Marlon Mack, we mentioned him earlier. Is this a get-right game, though he's not heavily used in the passing game?
1: 100%. I mean, look at the last game he bought out in was against the Jaguars. Who's the only run defense worse than the Jaguars? The Panthers, who he now gets. I mean, they've allowed 26 rushing touchdowns this season. Next closest to the Jaguars, all the way down at 19. And I mean, they've, they're also allowing league-high 5.2 yards for carry. I mean, you know... All these Panthers fans for years wanted Thomas Davis out of there because you know really hurt them against the pass when they're trying to trot out three linebackers all the time. Well, you know, they got what they wished for. Now they have a good pass defense, but they cannot slow down any rushing attack this entire league. I think it's just like the Seahawks last week. We, know, we knew they wanted to run the ball against the Panthers. But we knew the Panthers couldn't stop it. Same thing with the Colts. Who's going to be the guy to run the ball? Marlon Mack.
0: And guess who has a better offensive line than the Seahawks? The Indianapolis Colts. Don't forget, the Indianapolis Colts have Quentin Nelson. Quentin Nelson is going to enjoy playing football this Sunday. Oh, yes. (laughs) Kenyon Drake. He has become a conundrum player because most of us believe that in a vacuum, if 100% healthy, that David Johnson's a better player. And David Johnson is going to be a Cardinal in 2020 based on the contract. The dead cap is way too high to cut David Johnson next season. So where does that leave Kenyon Drake? After a four-touchdown performance, a league winner, where will Kenyon Drake be drafted
1: next season? Hopefully... In the first round, because he's a Tampa Bay Buccaneers new starting RB1. I don't know, man. Cardinals trade a six-round pick for him. Conditional. Like, there is nothing here that says they need to enter next season with Kenan Drake. I He has played awesome since joining them. He has clearly been their best back, and because of that, he has been getting most of the reps, and I agree with you in that if they're both healthy, and we get to David Johnson, we saw up until about week seven or eight this season, yeah, give me DJ out there, but Clearly, both these guys, they're both versatile enough as receivers. They could coexist. You know, we're seeing Cleveland do that right now with Chubb and Hunt playing both guys 60% plus snaps. One more as a receiver, one more as a running back. I mean, I think Drake could honestly, even though their body size is a little different, I think Drake could be kind of the primary running back and let David Johnson, you know, take those snaps in the slot and not wide that we've seen him dominate with in the past. If both these guys are on this roster, I don't – do any of them go top four rounds? I think they both just become awesome uh, zero round, I mean, zero RB targets because we know this offense is going to take a leap of Kyler Murray in year too.
0: That's right. That's right. I think they're great mid round targets if they're both on the Cardinals. If I close my eyes and I imagine Kenyon Drake on a different team in 2020, I see an Atlanta Falcons uniform. And Kenyon Drake in an Atlanta Falcons uniform, he's an early second round pick next season. With Freeman gone? No Devontae Freeman. Okay. I see him as an early second rounder. I can't see fantasy gamers getting all the way behind him, pushing him into the first round with the Ezekiel Elliott's and the Nick Chubbs, but I see early second round. That's where I see him if he's not a Cardinal. If he is a Cardinal and David Johnson is reportedly healthy, then late fourth, early fifth. Anthony Miller. He is breaking out all over the place. He won't stop breaking out, even though... He's the number two option in a mitchell Trubisky offense. I didn't think that was possible. I didn't think it was possible for mitchell Trubisky to support two fantasy-relevant wide receivers. But we're here, which makes what Anthony Miller is doing all the more impressive. Where's he going to go next year?
1: I think maybe a little too high, man. He's talented. With that said, why has he been breaking out just recently, it's because Taylor Gabriel has been sidelines because Trey Burton's on IR, Adam Shaheen's on IR. I mean, they really have no one else. So even J- Javon Wims, their number three wide receiver, has been banged up, too. I mean, it's Miller's clearly talented. He scored seven touchdowns as a rookie playing with a bum shoulder. But I just don't know if they're g- ever going to treat him in this offense like a true number two. In week one, Nagy had him on the sidelines so he could play Tariq Cohen as a full-time actual slot receiver. You know, Mike Davis was the Bears starting uh, running back in week one. It just doesn't seem like a situation that if Nagy's back next year and Trubisky's still a quarterback and they're a little bit healthier all around, I'm not convinced we see the same volume over the course of an entire season.
0: So you think Anthony DeMiller is going to be overdrafted next year? I agree with you. He just does not look the part of an alpha in any passing game. It's going to be the Allen Robinson show all over again. We can just hope for an upgrade, a quarterback. That's the big hope in Chicago. Mike Boone, will he help people win championships this week?
1: Yeah, so Schefter was saying on ESPN last night that he would be surprised if Dalvin Cook plays in week 16 or 17. And <gasps> just looking at the – I mean, if the Rams – the Rams lose on Saturday, that means the Vikings clinch a playoff berth. And to win the NFC North, they need the Packers to lose this week and then in week 17 as the Lions. So seems unlikely. Seems like the Vikings should be able to just make the playoffs and none of this really matter. So, yeah, why would you rush Dalvin Cook back? Alexander Madison still got this ankle injury. He doesn't appear all that likely to just be back. I don't know. I haven't heard much on him there. And that leaves Boone. He's the guy in this offense that wants to be run first. And yeah, look, Abdullah, it's just worth worth mentioning. He'll get a little pass down work, but his five carries last week were a little inflated. Four of those came on the second last drive of the game when they were just in full-on mop-up mode. So I think you can fire up Boone with a round of 20 touch projection and like <laughs> Even if you don't, even if you don't love this athletic profile, which I know a lot of people are hanging their hat on, and he has an amazing athletic profile. Look what he did in the preseason. I mean, this guy is produced against NFL defenses, and I think we're going to see him do it in a regular season game this Sunday.
0: Ninety fifth percentile burst score, and it's translating on the football field. It translated in preseason, into big plays, and it translated into two touchdowns in week 15. Like, Mike Boone is happening! It's happening, folks! It's happening! We got him!
1: We got him! Breakout
0: star, Mike Boone! We got him! Oh, I told you to stash him for weeks! And I was right. Adam
1: Thielen, is he dust? No! Take it easy. Too soon? Too soon. I mean, too soon? I don't think he's... I don't know if he's 100%, but even before, like, what was the big storyline from this Vikings offense in weeks one through six? Volume in this run-first offense. Run first, run first, run first, run first, run first. Exactly. Thielen doesn't have a game with more than eight targets this season. He has five games with five or fewer targets. That's more than he had in 2017 and 2018 combined. This philosophy's been validated, Ian. They're going to make
0: the playoffs with this philosophy. That means it's going to carry over into next season. And Adam Thielen's
1: going to be 30 what do you do with Adam Thielen and Dynasty? Haven't you seen their win-loss when Dalvin Cook gets over 20 carries in a game? But, no, I mean, Thielen's really going to be 30? you say that? 30 years old. Wow, I did not realize he was that old. You know what? It's not like the guy's been winning based on pure speed or anything anyway. The guy's a route runner. He catches everything thrown near him. This is his first real injury. It's a hamstring injury he came back from too quick and re I mean, this all... It makes sense why he injured us. I don't know that we should just expect his body to start breaking down because of this one instance. No, I mean, again, I think the volume is a bigger concern than dealing turning into dust. Uh, he's not going to be, obviously, the top two-round pick he was this year. So, honestly, I think buying him back in 2020 could be the way to go.
0: Sneaky buy, Adam Thielen. Julio Jones, similar age, commanded 20 targets. How the hell did he do that? 20 targets. Russell Gage is the other option, so we're just – Throwing it to Julio
1: every single time, right? Yeah, I think the one thing that could have tipped us off a little bit too—we looked too much at this 49ers matchup on the surface and just said that's going to be impossible. Massive emotional letdown spot for the 49ers coming off of that, you know, gigantic Saints win. Just all those injuries on defense—it wasn't like it was just Sherman; it was Kawan Williams. Their other cornerback was out. D. Ford was out. Tart. Their safety was out. Whenever a team's missing four to five starters, and you have anyone that's that talented on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, we got to give them a long, long look. And I know Julio was in that you know monster touchdown drought from hell entering the game, but probably could have seen that that was coming. I know, real quick off topic, is Austin Hooper the most overrated top fantasy producer ever? Because I think he's pretty close. I have not seen this guy once all season when the Falcons are actually in neutral game script make a difference. And you know what? They've been trailing a lot. Have you seen him on the highlights?
0: I haven't seen him on SportsCenter. I haven't seen him featured on ESPN. He just seems to rack up receptions and grind out yards. He's more Jason Witten than he is George Kittle. I prefer a George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Evan Ingram type
1: profile. Hooper's a fine player in real life. is isn't a shot at him. It's more of a, look, when Ridley's healthy especially, the Falcons are never going into Sunday going, wow, let's get Austin Hooper 12 targets today. We'll see what Julio and Calvin can get, you know. On the side, they get down multiple scores, and who who the underneath receivers? Hooper and Devontae Freeman, who's also been catching a lot of passes this year. Forty-eight catches, five hundred forty-seven yards, five touchdowns while trailing this season for Hooper. Thirteen for one hundred thirteen yards and one touchdown when tied or leading. I understand they've been trailing more than the other times, but seriously, like when you do not chase this guy next year, do not chase the number three pass game option in offense. Go get your George Kittle, go get your Zach Ertz's. Go get the guys that are actually featured from snap one of the game.
0: At tight end, you go all the way up or all the way down. If you don't get Kelsey or Kittle, go super value, down the board, double-digit rounds, guy like Ian Thomas, right? You want an Ian on your team, right, Ian? (laughs) Amen to that. Ian Thomas in the double-digit rounds. I can already see it. I already have Ian Thomas in the 2020 Scott Fish Bowl, and the draft hasn't even happened yet.
1: Just like the O.J. Howard rule, man. Don't draft a tight end from rounds Four to ten, pretty much.
0: It's not a good idea. We also had Evan Ingram as one of the top three most fragile tight ends coming into this season, a massive injury risk that no one else predicted except those at Player Profiler. And Tyler Lockett's coming off an injury, but is it time to pay up for him in tournaments because he's just in such a smash spot and you can see the ownership being suppressed because he's so expensive on DraftKings?
1: That's the argument because he's priced as the wide receiver three. I think, you know,
0: their algorithm knows,
1: man, it knows, it knows draft Kings knows. He can clearly ball out in this spot. I mean, I think Tyler is going to have to ball out in any spot. And he was doing that for the first eight or nine weeks of the season before, you know, he had this injury and then he had this flu. It's just one of those things where, you know, it's, I guess we should have just kept that in mind more, but it's been tough when the guy's not listed on the injury report, when he's still playing a full-time role. On a week-to-week basis, you know, it's they're saying he's not 100%, and we just got to, you know, listen to him, I guess, more, but it's just a complicated situation with Locke. It's been so frustrating this season. It seemed like finally after the first nine or ten weeks of the season, you know, he was getting that consistent volume. He was getting more underneath just high-percentage slot targets that he hadn't previously gotten in his career because of Doug Baldwin. It was all coming together, and it's all falling apart. Now, last week was awesome. They could definitely keep that going against the Cardinals. So, yeah, man, contrarian turning play,
0: I think they keep it going because I think yeah. that Tyler Lockett is a receiver. And, and this is the life of a receiver. It's a volatile position. And whether it be injuries or illness, stacked up with randomness, you can have a two, three, four-week drought. It just happens. You roll the dice. You can get snake eyes multiple times. It's possible. It's just random chance. Random events and outcomes on the football field can greatly suppress or greatly inflate your production. And I think now we're seeing a return to normalcy for Tyler Lockett, and I don't think it was difficult to figure out. I think you were benching him when he wasn't producing. You benched him last week, and that's fine. He's now shown you, he's shown us that he's back, and now we play him with confidence, including in DFS. Stack him with Russell Wilson, because I don't want to stack him with D.K. Metcalf. I think D.K. Metcalf has a fake ceiling. I think D.K. Metcalf looks nice on paper. He looks like a GPP option on paper, but it's fake. It's Burst score, it's athleticism, but when you look below the surface, the limited route tree and the lack of yards after the catch, it, it does cap his ceiling.
1: I don't know, man. I've been looking at – I've been trying to sift through targets because obviously not all targets are created equal. We have guys like Christian Kirk who get a ton of targets, but they're all within two yards of the line of scrimmage. I know air yards helped show that, but there's also red zone targets. You have these guys like Metcalf, like Kenny Galladay, where, yeah, they might be, be used limited – in their route trees and that kind of stuff. But when all their targets are deep balls and red zone, like that's to me, the most fancy friendly opportunities we can look for. So I went through, I you know broke up everyone's targets to red zone, deep balls and regular, you know, got the historical PPR points associated with each. Anyway, just want to find out who are the most fancy friendly receivers in terms of per target opportunities. When we account for downfield red zone top seven this year, among the top 70 receivers with 50 targets, Philip Dorsett, Mike Williams, Tyler Lockett, Kenny Galladay, Preston Williams, R.I.P. Terry McLaurin, and DK Metcalf. Oh. Look, I agree with you. He doesn't have the yards after the catch ability, which is something that, you know, I probably could put into this to figure it out. But just in terms of consistently getting downfield looks and opportunities in the red zone, no, I, I think he does have a ceiling. You think the upside is real there? I do. He's getting almost the same amount of targets as Tyler Lockett. And even though he's not the same talent after the catch, or I think as an overall receiver, He's getting the same fancy-friendly target share for one of the best quarterbacks in the league.
0: Well, the price difference is extreme. 7.6K on DraftKings for Tyler Lockett, and you're going to go all the way down to 5.9K for DK Metcalf. So you're suggesting throw a feeler on the DK Metcalf with Russell Wilson stack as well. The issue is, against Arizona, DK Metcalf's going to see a lot more Patrick Peterson, and Tyler Lockett's going to get the, Friendly matchup out of the slot. You want wide receivers in the slot against Arizona. That's the difference.
1: Unless they're Jarvis Landry. What the hell is that?
0: Jarvis Landry? That air ball was just funny. I'm not a Jarvis (laughs) Landry enthusiast, so whenever he's high owned and doesn't deliver in DFS, I just cackle. (laughs) Who had the bigger air ball last
1: week? Was it Landry or Robert Woods? I I think it was Landry, man, just because of how. And I know Robert Woods has been the one constant in this Rams offense, but with real golf and we should just kind of knowing that there was no way Cooper Cup was going to be that little involved again, and with how crazy Higby has been recently. Crazy. Yeah. I understand why both were cast plays. I'm not trying to say in hindsight, like, you no, know, Woods was a bad player or anything. I get it. He was eating. But I just think with that slot matchup and, you know, with that. Just Arizona in general. I, I, I expected more out of Landry last week. How is Tyler Higby doing this? Uh, pure badass volume. It's insane, man. The only guys with freaking more targets than him over these last three weeks that Joe dever have been out, so he's playing every down roll. Guys with more targets than Tyler Higby. Robert Woods, Michael Thomas, Christian McCaffrey, and Allen Robinson. That's it. Like I'm getting all these start start sick questions with like him versus Darren Wall and all these other guys. We have to treat Higby like an undisputed top five tight end option right now. He's getting fed that many targets. Now, you know, the matchups. We're sick. So we'll see if he keeps the matchup going, man. But there is just too much volume with Tyler Higby to leave that deal on your bench right now. It's
0: crazy. It's different if you do it in one or two games like Ian Thomas, 10 targets. You're thinking he could either keep it rolling, another 9-10 target game, or the glass slipper falls off and the glass slipper fell off last week. Tyler Higby, he's keeping that glass slipper on. So after three consecutive weeks, we have to treat him like a top five tight end. Is he Zach Ertz? No. Is he Travis Kelsey? No. Is he George Kittle? No. Is he the next best thing? Yes. Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott this week? That's my big quarterback conundrum. I'm going at Russ.
1: There's some volume concern like there was last week, but in these potential blowout spots, I'm almost... I'm just not as worried about it as I think I used to because we got to realize if they're going to blow out the Cardinals, Russ is going to have something to do with that. And I know they are run first. Chris Carson's going to get his 20 plus touches, but like as we saw last week, I was a little bit off that more off that passing game than I think I should have been. Just you know, considering, hey, if they're going to get up to a big lead and start running the ball, there's going to be a lot of that production going through these wide receivers and Russell Wilson. Fairly condensed passing game for the most part. Now with Josh Gordon gone, you know, I know we got Turner and Jerome Brown, some of these guys rotating the wide receiver three spots. Sometimes they get going. For the most part, you can stack them with Lockett, Metcalf, and don't forget about Jacob Hollister, who hasn't found the end zone recently. But, again, we know Russ likes his tight ends. And, uh, you know, certainly the spot to get that going again and, you know, the flowchart matchup of the week.
0: It's the Arizona Cardinals. That's been the tight end trope all season, play your tight ends against the Cardinals. So you could stack Russell Wilson with Tyler Lockett and Jacob Hollister, yep. DK Metcalf and Jacob Hollister.
1: Absolutely. And look, this Eagles defense, I know they got absolutely bamboozled by Devontae Parker. Haskins looked better than he should have last week. Do
0: you realize what you're saying? You realize what you just said, right?
1: What? They
0: were bamboozled by Devontae Parker. And then Dwayne Haskins had the best game of his career by a wide margin.
1: It's scary when I put a butt on the end of that.
0: The, those are two important performances that we have to hold against this Eagles defense. I mean... I
1: am. I'm just... All I'm trying to say, no. if you look at their last six, seven games when they've finally gotten their mediocre secondary healthy, they've been better than those two performances suggest. That's all. And I don't know if this is a smash spot like it is for Russell Wilson versus the Cardinals.
0: I think it may be more of a smash spot because the Eagles have one of the best front fours. They are going to shut off the running lanes for Ezekiel Elliott and force them to throw. That's what the Eagles do. It's the ultimate backwards defensive philosophy. I always give the Eagles credit for analytics, and then I look at the strategy they employ, and it's backwards. I also give credit to the Green Bay Packers. They draft the right players, the right positions, and lo and behold, they have implemented the optimal defensive philosophy where you just let teams run on you and you shut off the outside pass routes. That's what you should be doing because those outside wide receiver route trees are the path to victory in the NFL, and the Packers have decided we're going to shut those off. Right? We're going to wall those off, force you to beat us up the middle. Whereas the Eagles are saying, hey, listen, hey, listen, you can beat us on the outside. You just don't go up the middle on us. Please don't go up the middle. We're going to shut down the middle and you're going to have to beat us with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. (laughs) It's like, okay, (laughs) we're happy to do it. Here goes Michael Gallup. Like Michael Gallup's in a smash spot. You know that.
1: How worried are we about this Dak finger thing? Because we were just talking about, you know, some of these injuries that we don't pay enough attention to. Mm. And, you know, Troy Aikman on the broadcast saying Dak's playing with a hairline fracture in his right index finger. Jason Garrett says it's not affecting him. I remember, I mean, we're not going to get any information out of this Cowboys organization that's accurate about an injury. I still remember when Tony Romo broke his back and Jerry Jones that same night said, good news, guys. It's not a broken back. We'll be fine. So we can't trust anything coming out of there their mouth last week against the rams they ran the ball all over them didn't really have to pass they're not have to pass because the running game was good or because you know they didn't want to throw that much so a little worried about that but no i agree with everything you're saying you know you look at dboa it was pa- pass versus run you have defenses like the ravens like the uh chiefs defenses that are good against the pass and they let you run sometimes because you can always add more guys to the box you can always stop that much easier than you can, a glaring problem on the outside. That's why you see defenses like the Jets, like the Buccaneers, and they're awesome. They're top five in DBO against the run. It doesn't matter because they can't slow down passing games, and it's the NFL in 2019.
0: Yeah, the ultimate phyric victory defenses. Like, oh, hey, we stopped the run. (laughs) Great, what did you do? We lost. Okay, what did you win? Nothing. All right. (laughs) Now, more upside for the dollar this week. Cooper or Gallup? You got to say Gallup here.
1: Yeah, I thought Gallup was in, you know, the spot last week and obviously just didn't work out more because of volume. It's game script. Don't worry about it. Forget it. Since week eight, since they're by Gallup has 55 targets. Cooper has 52. It's been a one one B situation. A lot of that's been because Cooper's had the tough matchups and it doesn't really apply as much this week. But no, I don't think they're going out of their way to feature Gallup as the number one. So when there's that big of a pricing discrepancy, yeah, just take the cheaper guy that gives you similar upside.
0: So I follow you on Twitter. Two weeks ago, you called the Aaron Jones eruption game, which was particularly impressive because he had been quiet and you went out and you gave him one of those helicopters, those blocked helicopter with the ladder and you see the man climbing the ladder and he's holding his hand out and he's screaming play player x because he's going to go over 100 yards and multiple touchdowns or he's going to melt faces somehow some way it's an amazing graphic all of us on uh, football twitter look forward to the ian Hardtits helicopters every week The Aaron Jones one just sticks out as the most impressive for me. What's been your favorite helicopter of the season?
1: First one, the OG. That was uh, Deshaun Jackson in week one. You know, hit him going for over 100 and multiple touchdowns. Uh, we're 6-4-1 on the season. Not too shabby. Hoping to finish up above 500. And, uh, you know, we've lost some good pilots out there. Hollywood Brown, week three. Good guy. Uh, <laughs> Kenny Galladay, Mark Ingram lost him as well. <laughs> And most recently, Kyler Murray. Oh, that was tough. I was in on that. Yeah, man. I mean, when Drake gets three touchdowns inside the five-yard line, that could have easily been Kyler. Mm. It is what it is. But you know what? It's uh, it's just an all-week process to kind of try to find that contrarian play that maybe people aren't giving enough credit, whether it be the matchup, the recent volume. Uh, in Kyler's case, I thought it was just, you know, they had two really rough weeks against the bye and that the Browns hadn't played anyone since losing Miles Garrett and burning Now, so it's when, you know, you're looking at a play and there's four or five factors going right and you're looking at the projected ownership and it's just not lining up. So, uh, you know, I, I really do uh, put a lot of thought into it. I don't usually. Kind of, I don't narrow down my kind of potential pilots until Thursday night, Friday, after I've done all my kind of research. You know, I might, might have a couple of drinks first, to get the chopper gods to talk to me in the right way. But, you know, everyone's uh, all the talk of the industry is about establishing the run and all that. But, you know, fuck the run. I, I want to rule the air so, you know, people can have whatever they want there. But if you want to you want to be a true champion to true, uh, true pilot of the industry, follow the helicopters.
0: Love it. Love it. Can we just brainstorm out loud? Possible lock button running back. Now, this is not a helicopter, but a candidate for a lock button running back.
1: I was about to say, I'm not about to reveal the helicopter yet. It doesn't look out until Sunday.
0: No, 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 no. We're going to talk about it. No, it's not revealing a helicopter yet. A candidate, a candidate. He finished flight school at running back.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, Melvin Gordon mentioned him earlier, man. I just think the salary is too cheap and it really hasn't been this low since his last blowup, which was against the Raiders, coincidentally. So uh, he did lose two fumbles last week. We saw Justin Jackson come in briefly, but, you know, haven't heard any word yet that he is definitively benched. And we did see Gordon return to the game. In the fourth quarter you know working back alongside eckler so justin jackson really didn't do anything with those touches i don't think to warrant a multi-week bench or anything like that and so once we remove that then we got a cheap running back that's averaging 20 combined carries and targets since they fired Ken weisenhunt you know whenever you got a running back below 6k that's going to flirt with 20 touches you got to take a long look at why you don't want to lock them in
0: and the projected game script favors melvin gordon over austin eckler Mm-hmm. These are game script dependent running backs and assuming the Chargers can get a lead in that game, it's going to be the Melvin Gordon show in the second half. Love it. Wide receiver. Possible lock button wide receiver. Possible. Just a candidate.
1: Yeah, look at Tyler Boyd. Only 5,800 against this Dolphins defense. Like, Let's attack this game. This offense has been fine once Andy Dalton's back. That's right. Andy Dalton's back, man. Yeah. He can at least enable Boyd. Andy Dalton's back. The Bengals are playing
0: fine. That's all you need from the Bengals. You just need fine. It's just fine. Bengals is fine. you got to play Tyler Boyd this week. I think you could play Tyler Boyd even in tournaments. I think the upside is requisite. John Ross, too. This is an eruption spot for John Ross.
1: You agree? I'm a little worried about his snaps last week. I mean, Alex Erickson was playing well ahead of him, targets and snaps. But with that said... You know, coaching staff has talked about easing Ross back in. It would make sense this week. It would make sense. This is what they said. They were transparent about this. This is the way it was going to play out. Yes, I'm in on both guys. And honestly, like while we're at it, if we like Boyd, if we like Ross, does not that mean we like Dalton
0: cheap? I love Dalton in cash. Dalton is my cash quarterback so I can afford the premium running backs this week. Absolutely. You either go all the way up or all the way down in cash. That's my philosophy. Play Lamar Jackson. Great. Who doesn't love Lamar Jackson? We're playing Lamar Jackson. Of course you're playing Lamar Jackson. Who doesn't love Lamar Jackson? Lamar Jackson's always a cash play until DraftKings decides to move the salaries of quarterbacks up even more significantly. They're not going to do that, so you play Lamar Jackson. That's great. That's fine. Good. But if you can't afford him, you're often better off just moving all the way down and not getting cute along the way. I like Dalton and Ross in tournaments. I like Dalton and Boyd more in cash. Give me Joe Mixon in in all contest types, and give me all the Bengals in Dynasty Leagues. I'm trading for Joe Mixon, number one, also John Ross, also Tyler Boyd. They're all undervalued because Dynasty Leaguers have not fully internalized Joe Burrow in a Cincinnati uniform. It's going to happen. Get ready. Get out ahead of it. Give us your fake chalk of the week. The guy you think is going to be high owned for all the wrong reasons.
1: Mentioned him before. I think Austin Hooper is going to be popping. His salary's down to forty four hundred. Uh, you know Ridley being out, he's technically their number two guy. But that's true. I think we saw last week what's happening though. Matt Ryan is going to force feed Julio the ball, and then in this matchup too against the Jaguars again, them and the Panthers really the two defenses that you can hang your hat on. Teams will be able to run the ball against them. Isn't Jacob Hollister
0: just Austin Hooper West? And doesn't Jacob Hollister have the better matchup?
1: Nah, you're right. He might, he'll might. he probably end up being the more chalky guy. Uh. If you have to play a guy, you'd rather play Hollister at a similar price point. Hollister or even Hunter Henry. I want both those guys over Austin Hooper for sure.
0: Okay. James Washington. Washington is pretty polarizing because he was not a starter to begin the season. And even after... Juju Smith-Schuster went down. Deontay Johnson was technically the alpha in that passing game, getting significantly more snaps. James Washington continues to produce, in spite of third-string quarterback play, 80-plus receiving yards in three out of the last four games. But Juju Smith-Schuster returns. James Washington will not get a full complement of snaps. Does that matter? Can you still play
1: him in DFS? I don't want anything to do really with James Washington. And it's not just on him. I do think he is a talented guy, but Juju's coming back. That means Washington, who has been playing over 20 snaps a game in the slot last three weeks, that's gone. He's back to being a primary outside receiver. When he's a primary outside receiver, I don't think we have any evidence that points to him getting more involved in Deontay Johnson in any given week. This is already a low-volume passing game, and yeah, like who knows what's going to happen. Longer term, I prefer Deontay Johnson to James Washington in a
0: vacuum anyway. So James Washington is absolutely a trap this week. Is Darius Slayton a trap?
1: Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, it, he's eight touchdowns this year. I mean, good for that guy, but just a crowded offense. And honestly, the going from, going from Eli to Daniel Jones is a negative for Darius Slayton. I know the common talking point has been, oh, you know, Daniel Jones throws the ball downfield. Eli doesn't. That's just not rooted in what we've seen this year. Eli's deep ball rate is thirteen point six percent. He's been way more effective in yards per attempt and quarterback rating on those deep passes. Daniel Jones all the way down at ten point three. I mean, Jones has been more of the nick and dunk guy. He turns the ball over more. I mean, this is bad for all these receivers. I think if they go back to Daniel Jones, I'm not saying Eli's just this awesome, you know, quarterback they have back there. But when it's between those two right now, like Eli has been better. Uh, enabling these guys from a fantasy perspective. So, no, I mean, just because Darius Slayton, he, in any given week, he can be behind Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, even Saquon Barkley, even Evan Ingram if he comes back. So
0: And Golden Tate is only 4.8K. The best value Ooh. among these Giants receivers is Golden Tate. He has big playability in a starting role, operating close to the line of scrimmage, which fits better with Daniel Jones' playing style. So I prefer Golden Tate.
1: Hey, quick quick, Golden Tate question for you. Do you think him or Deshaun Jackson is the premier swaggy touchdown scorer of the past decade?
0: I think you have to say it's Deshaun Jackson. Any time you can stop on the one-yard line and then get the ball swiped out from behind by a hustling defensive player, you're taking swagger to such an extent that you're doing huge damage to your team and your reputation— And if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to nuke yourself just to preen in the final moments before scoring a touchdown, you have to give it to Deshaun Jackson. You have to. But I love Golden Tate. He is already named Golden, and he created a new nickname for himself, Showtime. You're already called Golden. You don't need a nickname. You're Golden already. Why are you calling yourself Showtime? You're Golden. It'd be like someone who already had... A name like Fantasy Mansion creating a new nickname like the Podfather. Like one good nickname wasn't enough.
1: You're the Golden Tate of the fantasy community, Mr. Podfather.
0: Proudly. Proudly. Is Mike Williams a trap?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. I mean, I think Williams and Ridley are maybe the two most talented, like number two receivers in the league, just in terms of like give these guys a real chance to be a number one receiver. And I'd love to see what they can do. But there's just too many mouths to feed in this Chargers offense. He has five games with five or fewer targets this season. He kills it. You know, I mentioned that, you know, fancy friendly target stat earlier. He's right there at the top. When he gets targets, they're deep balls and they're in the red zone a lot. That's, you know, we've seen the touchdown regression these last two weeks, finally. But again, it could be Keenan. It could be Hunter Henry. It could be either of the running backs. We see one of these Chargers every single week dud, and it could easily be Mike Williams this week.
0: I think it's going to be Mike Williams. I'm going to retweet your Kyler Murray helicopter from last week because I think Kyler Murray is teed up to exceed expectations this week. It's going to happen. Talk about bad touchdown luck. Kyler Murray's touchdowns will start reverting to the mean this week. That's my prediction. So
1: if you notice on the helicopters, there's never a date. So uh, the Kenny Galladay one, the Mark Ingram one. I'm going to retweet it. And everyone's going to be like, oh, Ian, you got it.
0: And I'm like, yeah, see, he was
1: right. No, uh, I'm with you, man. I, I can't wait to see Kyler have some legit weapons around him. I mean, I like Kirk. I like Drake and these guys, but come on, like, make Kirk our number two, number three receiver. Like It would be great. Kirk in a number two role would be great with a proper, with a prototypical
0: X receiver on the outside. There's a lot of those guys in this draft. Can you imagine Kyler Murray with CeeDee Lamb? Woo! his old friend from Oklahoma joining him in Arizona in the desert, move Christian Kirk inside full time. I mean, that would be bananas.
1: God forbid we get Andy Isabella a few more reps. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see healthy david johnson
0: oh, yeah. <laughs> Jameis winston did you know he's 900 yards away from being the single season passing yards leader of all time 900 yards away from the record Jameis winston
1: i did not and it's even more impressive when uh bruce arians literally called this a run first offense within the first month of the season and seemed uh <laughs> You see him <laughs> inclined to just come out of retirement to feature Peyton Barber for some reason. But, no, man, it's been so – like, to me, Javis Winston and Josh Allen are two of the top five most just entertaining quarterbacks in the league because when they're bad, it's still awesome.
0: They rush for a touchdown or they find a way to throw for three touchdowns and three interceptions. It's why these are fantasy football quarterbacks. They're not good, and that's fine. If you're a fantasy footballer like we are, then – We embrace players like this. This is why we're here. We love volume. We love touchdowns. We love rushing touchdowns. We love Konami quarterback play. So what if they're throwing it to the other team more than most? Who cares? Who cares? Get over it.
1: Hey, who does Jameis Winston play more games for in the next five years? Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Las Vegas Raiders? Wow, Jameis Winston does feel like a Raider, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: The swagger. But I also think... There is an outlaw aspect to Jameis Winston. He just doesn't care about many things that others care about in the NFL in a good way. And I feel like John Gruden has a way of installing concepts and rules of thumb for quarterbacks to help them narrow their focus and avoid some mistakes from the pocket. I do think that John Gruden would have a positive effect on Jameis Winston.
1: I'd agree with that. I just love that fit so much. It would be great. It would be so great. He
0: would look so much better in a Raiders uniform than a Buccaneers uniform. Ugh. Brashad Perriman looks pretty good in the Buccaneers uniform. How did Brashad Perriman do that, man?
1: To me, that was the most, second most tilted performance of the season other than Nelson Aguilar actually falling out in week three when he was the chalk, and he scored twice even though he dropped it. Like, these two. <laughs> he was the chalk. It's Brashad Perriman. He did
0: everything he could to betray the chalkness, and yet he went off anyway. Nelson Aguilar. All these are tilting players.
1: I thought Justin Watson would be the main guy in this game. It made sense to me that Evans is out. Okay. Who's his backup? It is Justin Watson, because Brashad Perryman and Scotty Miller, who returned last week, have been splitting field stretching snaps. That turned out not to be the case. Perryman was the guy I was on the field the most among the wide receivers. It's still just, I don't know, man. Do you really want to chase this? I want to chase Justin Watson. I'm going right back to Justin Watson. Absolutely. You can do a Justin Watson
0: helicopter. Yeah. (laughs) Because there's no Chris Godwin. There's no Mike Evans. And by far and away, the best all-around receiver that can play every position and execute is Justin Watson. He's the guy. The problem is he's not on the main slate. That's what kills me. I would love to be able to play Justin Watson, but he's not on the main slate this week. But I think he's a guy you can flex in deep leagues. Leagues that start three receivers with a flex, PPR, you can consider Justin Watson. It sounds crazy, but the depth chart is the depth chart. The projected snaps are the projected snaps. The projected routes are the projected routes. The projected targets are the projected targets. The projected receptions are the projected receptions. The projected yards are the projected yards. The projected touchdowns are the projected touchdowns.
1: But look who got the most targets last week. OJ freaking Howard.
0: Yeah. You can't lose sight of OJ Howard. You got to go back to OJ
1: Howard this week. You really
0: do. You do. I thought
1: it was going to be last week. It wasn't. But the usage was there. We've just been waiting for the usage all season. It's finally there. Let's give it one more chance. Follow the
0: targets. Follow the routes. Follow the targets. That means you play OJ Howard. That means you play Justin Watson and thank us later. It's the same reason you're playing Zach Ertz. It's the same reason. It's just that we've seen it week in, week out from Zach Ertz because he's been in this situation all year where there's no wide receivers of consequence challenging him for targets. So you just pile right back into Zach Ertz. It's hard to get off Zach Ertz each and every week, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think we can even throw him into flex cash game discussion at this point if you like a cheaper tight end because, I mean, he's their number one receiver in Philly right now. He's priced right alongside T.Y. Hilton, Keenan Allen, Cortland Sutton, Kenny Galladay. Like, I think we'd all kind of agree. Ertz definitely has a higher floor than those guys. And there's no Kelsey, and there's no
0: Kittle on the slate.
1: No, I think you need him. You got to have him in your cash lineup, I think, this week. It's just too much of a difference between him and the next closest tight end.
0: We had him last week in cash, and it worked. It worked really well, thanks to Chris Carson and Chris Conley. That was lucky. But anyway, how about Janu Smith? I think Janu Smith is good. I think Janu Smith is a tournament play. But he's down there with two others, Noah Fant and Mike Gesecki. They're all under 4K on DraftKings. I prefer Johnu Smith. How do you rank those three guys this week?
1: I go Giseki, Johnu, Fant.
0: Oh, you go Giseki number one. He's a wide receiver. You're ranking Gesecki number one. Gasecki's the one getting the targets of those three guys.
1: The guy getting the targets is Giseki. And it's not that close. Because he's their number two wide receiver. I mean, he's lined up in the slot or out wide, 79% of his snaps this season. You know, they call him a tight end. So that's what they drafted him. But even at Penn State, like the guy has consistently been just a wide receiver, and he's a big body one that Fitzpatrick, like Devontae Parker, loves throwing the ball up to. I feel way more confident about Gasecki getting five to seven targets signed to either Johnu who are, or Fant. Who's more talented? Definitely Johnu and Fant. They're awesome after the catch. They are just physical freaks. Not debating that. Did you see the run from Jonu last week? Lined up as a pure running back, man. It was incredible.
0: It was amazing. I was like, is that? Wait, that's not Derrick Henry. That's Jonu Smith. (laughs) Holy shit. He looked like Derrick Henry. It was amazing. Is Derrick Henry a system running back? But yeah, Mike Gusecki's got the matchup Cincinnati. You love Mike Gusecki this week. That's the guy to pay down for. Okay, truth or time. We talked dynasty. You want your Bengals in dynasty. Get them all. Mix in number one, but get every Bengal. Do you have a guy that's stashed that you still believe in that could be the next Brashad
1: Perriman? I have three guys I want to bring up real quick. We mentioned, we mentioned Curtis Samuel. I don't think it's that biggest hot take ever, but 2020 breakout, absolutely happening.
0: Absolutely.
1: As president of the Cordero Patterson fan club, I'm obligated to mention uh, he's been the best all-around special teamer in the league this season. He deserves to be in the Pro Bowl. Hey,
0: Cordero Patterson, you know what? He's really persevered. He had many opportunities to just walk off into the sunset and end his career it wasn't happening at the wide receiver position. That was clear, but he found a way. He and Tavon Austin have found ways to stay relevant, and I appreciate that.
1: He asked, uh, he asked Matt Nagy if he played tight end when Burton and Shaheen went down. The guy does whatever he can to help the team, and anyone that wants to call the all-time best kick returner in the history of the league, a bust, you know, can get these hands. Oh, 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 oh Better than Devin Hester? Kick returner, not, not punt and kick returner, just kicks. Oh, okay. I'm glad you specified. Oh, yeah. No, I've I've gotten into that wormhole before. All right. And finally, a guy on the Bengals that we have not mentioned. Auden Tate is very, very good. And I'm not sure if he's going to get the targets now. But, man, I would love to see what this guy could do in a consistent one-on-two role because it was pretty damn good this year. Every single catch he makes is awesome and is contested. And I understand that they're contested because he can't separate well. And that's a very big skill you want to have as a receiver in 2019-2020.
0: Hey, what if Mike Williams was a jungle cat? That's what I'm saying. Right? That's Auden Tate. He's a less expensive, less flashy version of Mike Williams. Final question. Get you out of here. Give me a bold prediction. Very, very bold. I'm talking as bold as you can get. You might think it's bold enough. I want you to go even bolder. NFL playoffs, Super Bowl. Give us a
1: take. I think the Chiefs skate through the playoffs and win every single playoff game by multiple scores. And they just emerge as the clear number one team in the league, win the Super Bowl, and we're going to look back at this and say, really? We didn't favor Patrick Mahomes in a fully healthy Chiefs offense with an improving defense that just added a potentially key pass rusher. We'll see if he ends up reporting. With Andy Reid, who's been scheming one of the best offenses in the league for the last two decades because we trusted Lamar Jackson and this Ravens team to keep winning shootouts in the playoffs. Like, I, I think just... Tyreek's been banged up this year. Mahomes has been banged up this year. At full health, which they are right now, the Chiefs have a higher ceiling than any team in the league, and I think they are going to prove that week in and week out once the playoffs start.
0: Love that take. Their defense has been playing excellent football. It used to be you'd play players facing the Chiefs just because you're chasing that shootout, and you want the negative game script in the second half, particularly when you're playing quarterbacks and wide receivers against this Chiefs team, but you can't do that anymore. They're so stifling, Ian. That you can't just autoplay your players against the Chiefs hoping for shootouts. It's not going to happen. It's going to be a blowout, not a shootout. And that's a big difference. That's what they were doing in previous years. It was shootouts, and they were winning. Now, they're blowing people out. And because they're doing it at the same time that Lamar Jackson has been historic, it's gone
1: incredibly underreported. Yeah, and we were talking earlier about defenses. What do you want to be good at on defense? You want to be able to stand up the pass. You'll deal with the run when you got to deal with it. Chiefs are 6th in DVO against the pass, 30th against the run. Last year, you know, they were just a bad defense. This year, they have some playmakers. They can, once they get a lead, they can protect that lead and build it even further.
0: Yes, please. Run Mark Ingram against us. By all means, yes, run Mark Ingram up the middle. (laughs) Yes, we want you to do that. It's open. It's open. Ravens play caller, run Mark Ingram up the middle by all means. That's going to be a hell of a matchup in the AFC Championship game. I don't watch a lot of football. I'll be watching that game, baby. I don't watch a lot of football. I'll be watching that game, baby. All right, bud. Thank you. You delivered as always. Thanks, man. Yeah, that was fun. Best of luck. I love that you're always thinking about the next thing and how to change the game.
1: Yeah, bro. We'll uh, we'll keep trying. Thanks again for uh, sending us over, man. I, I, just, I hate when a podcast and someone just can't even take the time to plan out their own thoughts. So truly appreciate that a bunch.
0: Dude, yeah, it helps you be better, man. You can go pull some stats and we can all look good
1: exactly man anyone that says oh i'm better my winging like they don't want to do the prep work so
0: these shows are produced really on monday and then we just kind of execute because we do our thing
1: i got a quote on my wall it's like uh some general said plans are useless but the art of planning is essential you know we're not going to read straight off a freaking script but just the going through it and organizing it can't replace it but thanks man really appreciate it as always Week 16 is already here. I'm ready for the real season, the offseason to get started, but it's been a good year. How you doing?
0: The real season's the offseason?
1: ever hey, acts like it doesn't exist, but come on, man. It's not like we're out there taking the physical punishment. Why the fuck do we need six months a year off like some people pretend?
0: <laughs> oh, no. No, we don't. No, we. I don't. I work really hard in the offseason. We're doing Dynasty. I'm going to go to the Senior Bowl. Hell yeah. I'm going to go to the draft. I mean, there's a lot of shit going on in the offseason.
1: That's what I'm saying. Everyone acts like, you know, August to December and just gives up the rest of the year. So, whatever. More uh, more power to guys like us. <laughs> I, I, I still think the season,
0: though, is a grind because there's this constant expectation that you have to turn things over. Your projections, your lineups. Every week, it's relentless. They've moved it up, so you have to do it by Thursday, right? Because they have the Thursday night game. So, I... I am ready for it to be over so that I can do a little more freelancing and not be so chained to the schedule. right I have to do the same fucking shit every Friday, I have to do the same fucking shit every Saturday. I am
1: happy to be done with some of the
0: more annoying. Well, Friday afternoon is is a lot to report. Who's practicing? Who's not? These are walkthroughs though, so does it really matter? What does a full practice on Friday even fucking mean?
1: Doesn't matter, but everyone releases their who's questionable and all that shit. So you got to not only hit all them, but follow up on everyone that was limited on Wednesdays. now left off the report.
0: Oh, they're doing that thing where they're leaving guys off the report. They used to leave them on the report. If they missed practice at all, they were at least going to be probable. But now they've kind of dropped the probable and they're just dropping guys off the injury report altogether,
1: right? So there's no more probable. Exactly. So some, sometimes it works out when they're left off the report. Other times you get questionable guys that are... Probably probable, but they're still listed as questionable, even though we all know they're going to play. So, well,
0: and you have guys that are legitimately hurt, but they're not on the injury report at all. Right. <laughs> like, we lose a little bit of documentation on guys like Tyler Lockett, who would have been probable, right, for many weeks with the leg injury.
1: I thought it's been like an illness that's been they've been talking about recently. He had a leg contusion,
0: the the deep bone bruise that sent him to the hospital.
1: That's right, right before their bye.
0: Yeah, so I think he would have been probable with that. There was a year where Tom Brady was probable with a bad shoulder all year.
1: All year, yeah.
0: It's good to know these guys aren't 100%. Like, other guys, it's amazing. Like, they haven't touched the injury report at all. You haven't heard. Leonard Fournette hasn't been even the least bit nicked up all year. Huge workload, not a whiff of an injury.
1: Then you got David Johnson moving around like he's 90 and just not listening on the injury reports (laughs) still. Yeah, David
0: Johnson's clearly not right. He should be probable with some kind of... I don't know if it's the back or the high ankle sprain. It's much easier to say high ankle sprain because then it just fits into this nice narrative. This smooth narrative of Saquon, Alvin Kamara, David Johnson... Their production was severely diminished post high ankle sprain. All three of them. Tevin Coleman's the fourth guy, right? But he's not in that class, right? He's not in the same class. It's the biggest unknown in of the offseason right now is Kenyon Drake versus David Johnson. What's going to happen?
1: The money's saying David. The money they own. I think it's like a 16 million dead cap hit. If they get rid of David Johnson. I mean, look, it. We'll see how much. Oh, they can't get rid of him, but I mean, what's going to happen next year? I
0: mean, that's why I had that question in there. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Like, this guy is shredding. He has four touchdown games. You just don't have four touchdown games. Remember, Chase
1: got three earlier this year. He has a
0: three touchdown game and he has a four touchdown game.
1: Something's up, man. Their scheme is really good, man. I look at uh, yards before contact every week, and like, even though the Cardinals' O line sucks at run blocking, they've been ranking behind the Ravens. All year and yards before contact, which just tells me, you know, it's them spread out all the time. They're getting the running backs into space. It's just David Johnson lately can't do anything in that space. So, yeah, I mean, I, I hope Drake gets the full down workload we've been hoping for it ever since he's been in Miami. But uh, I think the money is probably going to point us in the right direction when it comes down to it.
0: I don't know, man. I mean, I think David Johnson's a better player than Kenyon Drake. I mean, if you were, if you had one season to make the playoffs. Who would you want at running back to start the season if you had to pick one guy to be your starter? Would it be David Johnson or would it be Kenyon Drake?
1: I mean, as long as we're getting 2015 to week six, 2019 David Johnson, I'll take him. But, you know, the last five weeks, paint a different story. They were using David so much better as like a pure receiver before he got hurt, too. Now he's not even I mean, he's got five targets since he came back from injury. It's just like they know he can't do this right now, which makes the fact he's not listed on the injury report that much more ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it's stupid. It's stupid. I think it's a clear indication that he's not right, that it's going to take the off season for him to get right, but that if he's right, he's the guy. Yeah. If he's right,
1: he's better. Yeah, I think so too. And Drake's awesome in his own right. So maybe... Maybe we see a split. I don't know, though. Kingsbury's been pretty consistent this year with, uh, you know, whoever is the running back. It's kind of been the lead running back, uh, no matter who's been out there. So uh, it'd be awesome if, uh, I mean, they've kind of gotten rid of their four wide receiver base offense anyway. I mean, they just don't, I don't care about those tight ends. I don't. I mean, their wide receivers are looking for more talent. Do what the Browns have been doing. Just make sure you know Kareem and Chubb have been out there almost 60% snaps each. Make that happen with David and Drake. Both of them are good enough receivers to do it. It's just half the league seems so, I'm not saying the Cardinals even are, but everyone seems obsessed with like finding these, you know, running backs that complement each other, your scat back and your power back, because that's always been the age old kind of combination. But if you can get two of these guys, kind of like the Browns have right now, where they can both affect the game as a receiver, I mean, that should be your best case scenario.
0: We're going to do brunch. Oh, my God. Ryan Lopes is also in Connecticut. He's been bugging me to get brunch all year. One weekend, I had it free up at the last minute, and I DM'd him, and I said, hey, dude, this is the weekend. He's like, oh, you know, my my girl's birthday. Oh, jeez. I'm like, oh, my God. He's like, I really can't. He's like, man, you, gotta, you trust me, Podfather. I really want to. You, you got to trust me. It's just it's my girl, you know. <laughs>
1: Any time in the off season, man, I will not make that excuse. You got my word. You're in the roto world grind right now. You're in the roto
0: world grinder. Yeah. You, do you, how many? What do you? What do you do on Sunday?
1: All of us are assigned different games at the, you know, one o'clock and four o'clock, and then we got to do blurbs for both sides of that game. So doing like 40, 45 blurbs from like one to kind of eight, and then I don't know. I, I rewatch all the games. So you're locked into one game in each time slot. I make sure to. Rewatch all the games condensed on Game Pass uh, every Sunday and Monday. So I'm kind of I'm easily up to around midnight or one, kind of going through that. I try to watch two games at once during the day to make it a little more manageable. So it's definitely a rush from uh, you know Sunday morning to Thursday morning. I'd say is pretty much a sprint, but after that, it's really not that bad. So
0: no, it's really not. You're a hero to all of us. So many of us use this tool, Roto World. The traffic is you know, in the tens of thousands per day, so many people going there to get their news for free. Someone has to do the work behind the scenes and that someone is you. You are doing a great service for a lot of people.
1: We got a team, it's, you know, it's all run by Pat Daughtery, so he's the real OG. I don't know, man. I think
0: Pat's the fantasy analyst MVP Oh, really? No one else can get this award this year because the team fell apart around him. Not only Evan Silva leaving, which I think everyone knew was bound to happen. Then on his heels, boom, Rich Rebar leaves, Ray Summerlin leaves. Suddenly, there's no one left but Pat, and he has to not only keep it going, keep the machine going, keep the engine running, but also hire the next generation of roto world analysts that are tasked with the impossible of meeting those expectations and he did it he did it he pulled it off man i love Pat. all
1: all the credit
0: he pulled off the ultimate rabbit out of the hat maneuver this offseason was pat doherty he is the mvp there's no one else that's even close he's been working 16-hour days all season he just decided you know what i like working here i'm gonna stay But if I'm going to stay, I need to make sure that this organization continues to meet the high standards that have been established by the forebearers at Roto World. And God damn it, I know enough people and I know enough people that know enough people that we can rebuild this team the right way. He asked me, I said, you got to talk to this guy, you got to talk to this guy, you got to talk to this guy. Next thing I know, he's hired the best people in the business.
1: Yeah, no, he, he was definitely did a good job building it, man. I have too much of a kind of focus on myself. I, I I wouldn't have that ability to build a team as good as he did, so all the credit to uh, to Pat. But I mean, we were talking about fantasy MVP, man. I want my name up there too. I'm competing every damn day to try to beat guys like Pat and Silva, so.
0: He's underrated. You may actually be putting in more hours But once you get to a certain place where you have this added responsibility, you're forced to also not only work harder, but work smarter. So you have to blend the hard work with the smart work in order to raise up an entire organization. That's the next level. But you can't get to that level until you bust your ass delivering, and executing at the ground level. That's what Evan Silva did for so many years. That's the untold story, was that Evan Silva was grinding, grinding his ass off for years, just riding, 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 writing Before he had a big Twitter presence. You know, before any of that. Like, he was the horse that they all could rely on at Roto World. And they were just riding that horse. And then... He decided to start open up his presence on social media, and he had that underpinning. All that writing allowed him to be so much more efficient with how he processed information. Once he'd trained his body 10,000 hours analyzing football, on a Monday morning, this guy's publishing takes with links and takes with links early Monday morning. You're like, "Wait, wait, wait, I haven't even figured out what happened on Sunday yet. He's already broken it all down. He's already figured it all out.
1: Evan's up there, man.
0: But that was the training. 10,000 hours of just training behind the scenes at a time when no one knew who he was. Yeah. But that was the pre-Twitter Evan Silva. Now, so anyone that's at Roto World has this opportunity where there's an infinite amount of football analysis that needs to be done. It's just a question of how much of it are you gonna seize it's like a land grab. It's just a question of how many different acres of land can you you know, stick a flag in the dirt? You know, I'm gonna cover this, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna do that, I'm
1: gonna do, that, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna DFS, I'm gonna do start, sit, boom, 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 boom. That's all shit everyone's been doing for years though, man. Come on, where's the creativity in the industry these days? Everyone does their rankings. Everyone does the same old shit, the same old shit. I've seen it last 10 years. Give me a new idea. Everyone's copycats, copycat industry.
0: Well, that's the next level. What ends up happening is like, You have an organization like a World, or even like, like Player Profiler. We have stuff that needs to get done every year because people have a subscription to our draft kit, for example. It's their preferred way to prepare for a draft. So you have to deliver for a bunch of customers, right? You have to do that. Once you do that, once you prove yourself delivering for customers, then you have the credibility established, where then you can say, you know what, I have a new idea, I have a new premise. I have a new product I want to roll out. I want to do an app. I want to do a whole new premise for a weekly article, right? At that point, if you knocked the legacy task out of the park, then you have the credibility to say, okay, now it's time for me to do what I want. That's the deal that directors have in Hollywood. George Clooney has a deal like that. John Favreau the guy that directs the the superhero movie. So he has a deal where he says to the studio, I'll do one of your superhero movies, and then I have to do a movie I want to do. So he does like The Chef, this independent film where he's the lead, and he has a food truck that he drives across the country. And everyone looks at that script and goes, that's never going to happen. Yeah, that's a, that's a fun little movie you have there, but no one's going to make it. And he's like, okay, well, I understand it's never going to get made, but how about this? I'll tie my fun food truck movie to the X-Men so if you want the X-Men you got to do the food truck (laughs) there we go right so that's the deal he did and he's Clooney I think was the first to start doing those types of deals where he's like yeah I'll do your big budget Syriana movie but then I also have this little independent film I want to get done too I'm offering you a George Clooney movie package and I'm going to do your grunt work over here but you got to help me get my passion project off the ground over there
1: until you make the passion project good enough to supersede the what everyone thinks is the right one.
0: Well, that's the thing yeah and then eventually, if you've done enough of those, then you can go off
1: and start your own studio like Steven Spielberg.
0: Now you can just only work on the scripts that interest you.
1: I've wondered what a, a ten dollar per year product would look like in our industry undercut the rest of y'all with a with a one-man show that maybe maybe produces six pieces of content per week couple podcasts
0: a ten dollar subscription level that would be just for writers just for analysts that would provide stuff like an advanced game log you know a game log with lots of advanced stats and more advanced splits stuff that the everyday fantasy gamers not going to dig into but that analysts would but the problem is a lot of analysts they don't have a lot of money to spend they're they're trying to build a career they don't have a lot of disposable income but if you made it 10 bucks, then it's like, well, I can afford 10 bucks. If it's a tool I'll use, I can spend
1: 10 bucks. $10, you can find 5,000 people that are down for that. Then, hey, that's pretty much a year's salary for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, and I just think that it's a way for people to get in the door. They want to get the the weekly email. They want to get some of the basics. There's got to be something for $10. And I think if you can get enough people. But you, the problem is what I think you would run into is that that never made sense to me until we had a big enough audience where a $10 level, you actually could get thousands of people. It's a chicken and the egg issue where until you get to a broad enough audience, a product like that isn't really going to make much money until there's a broad audience that you can market it to. That's yep. the chicken and the egg.
1: I was wondering if what, what if the loophole of that is you tie it into a charity, get everyone all feeling good about themselves. $15.00. Half of it goes to a charity of your choice.
0: Dinkmeyer has one. He has a clean water charity. Yeah, that's that's a great idea, man. Dude, you're on it, man. You have all the good ideas.
1: Just thinking, just thinking. Dude, great minds think alike. Hey, real quick, what do you think is more valuable in 10 years? A big Twitter following or a big email list? A big email list. So I'm thinking too. Everyone's got that app on their phone.
0: My understanding of the hierarchy is this. It's who spends money and how ubiquitous is it. So all the people that spend money in the maximum ubiquitousness is email. Do they have a Twitter account? Maybe. Do they have a Facebook account? Probably. Do they have an Instagram account? Not likely. So the Instagram account, it's nice, but there's a lot of low-calorie followers. Yeah, I don't even have an Instagram. (laughs) So that's the least valuable, but also it's typically the most juiced up. Then Twitter. is definitely more valuable than Instagram. And then Facebook's more valuable than Twitter. Because the fantasy gamer you're looking for is age 45 to 60. So oftentimes you'll see individuals from age 30 to 45, that's a zone where a lot of men drop out of fantasy. They're at the peak of their profession where they're in their prime earning years, and they have a family, and they have to just jettison a bunch of hobbies. Yeah. But then, once they get into their 40s, they start bringing the hobbies back. They buy a boat, they start fishing, they get back into fantasy football. And then guess what? They have a lot more money now, right? So you've got a lot of people in their 20s, and then a lot of people like in their 50s. And then there's less in between, actually. But the the higher value customers are gonna be on email, and they're gonna be on Facebook, and some Twitter. And so that's really where you're gonna you're gonna drive traffic to products that people will actually buy.
1: What sucks is people think it's easy. It, it just sucks because everything we make is outdated very shortly. That's what makes books so fucking good, man. People that can write historical books that are as useful tomorrow as they are in fucking thirty years. Or fictional books, honestly.
0: People are still buying my Dynasty Dominator book. There you go. You can always buy another one, you know. Think about the platforms people use. I wanted different ways people could find me, right? So if I'm on Amazon searching for a fantasy football guide, I'll I'll show up, right? And then so they might learn about what is Roto Underworld, what is Player Profile, who is this Matt Kelly guy? They Google Matt Kelly, and then when you Google Matt Kelly, I'm the first one that comes up because you get that the werewolf thing, and you're like, oh, what's that werewolf with the martini glass? In the tuxedo. Well, that's interesting. What is he saying? So I go to the Twitter account. Okay, I'll follow this guy. He seems funny. But they actually may have found me on Amazon. What are the different platforms that people use all the time? Amazon, Twitter, Facebook, all those things. So we have a presence on Instagram. Is it great? No. Am I doing a lot of Instagram videos? No. Do I have time? I wish. But we are publishing our stuff to Instagram so that that's a place people can find us and learn more and be like, oh, hopefully they stumble upon playerprofiler.com. This is cool, I'm gonna bookmark this. But you need to try to find a way that people can find you across all these different platforms they're using. And the book was a way to do it with Amazon.
1: Yeah, I know Jonathan Bales had a bunch of success with his, uh, you know, fantasy sports for smart people back in the day.
0: It's not a a moneymaker. Like, that in and of itself isn't a moneymaker. But it's it's just a way to get in front of people.
1: I'm sure your guide's still helpful, but, I mean, I'd imagine it's, like, a little bit outdated now. I'm thinking just, like... I don't know, man. I remember as a kid reading like these Chip Hilton, Beverly Cleary, like just these book series of like kids growing up playing sports and there's 20 or 30 books in the same series. Come out with one of those, someone likes one of them and they're buying the next 29 of them. So I'm just really interested in that book that's just as relevant tomorrow as it will be in 30 years. So
0: fantasy football, definitely a passionate thing in the scale of, am I working in an industry where I can serve my passion? I'm probably the 99th percentile of people, right? That are essentially working in a field that's essentially like a hobby. That's the great hack that you and I have both solved in life.
1: Is fantasy football your passion or is football your passion? Because I feel like for me, it's just football and this is pretty close.
0: I find myself a lot of times not really talking about fantasy football, talking more about Belichick and how he, he isn't held accountable for the Sony Michelle <laughs> pick. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and it doesn't have anything to do with fantasy but the the filming of the sideline everything with gronk with malcolm butler getting benched conspiracy theory about aaron Rodgers not liking jeff janice <laughs> you know yeah so it's not really fantasy but sports journalism is going away it's harder and harder to make money just covering sports right so fantasy is a great hack to get in sports for sure in a place where people are willing to spend money and you can more easily set up your own business and actually make money at it. What the cool thing about fantasy is, you know, we have these apps that we're doing. We did the Dynasty Dominator app. We're gonna do this Breakout Finder app where you have this algorithm that looks at prospects. You do something cool. You put it in the app store and you're done. That's kind of what you're saying with the book. It's like evergreen. Yes, exactly. But I would stick with fantasy, man. It's growing all the time. I was just at a holiday party my family, and all my cousins that were in high school or in college, they all had fantasy teams. They were all talking about fantasy football without even me in the room, right? I would walk into the room, and they'd be talking about it, and I was like, oh, shit.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the only thing I would ever leave for is just an actual, like, front office job or just getting the chance to work with the real team.
0: I would hire you in a heartbeat if I were running a team. Oh, my God. Of course. You would be so good at that.
1: Yeah, it's just, you know, getting that baseline, man. You were talking about putting it in the hours. I think there's just certain boxes to check off so or shake the right hand.
0: Absolutely, man. Absolutely. There was a um, an episode of Hard Knocks, and they showed the computer. I think it was the Miami Dolphins. They showed the coach's computer, and he was looking at Roto World.
1: Yeah, I think I remember hearing about that. <laughs>
0: He was reading Roto-World. It was either the Bengals or the Dolphins. I don't remember which bad, hard knocks it was, but it was one of those. You realize, oh, well, a lot of front office people respect Evan Silva. They don't view him as a fantasy guy. They view him as just like an NFL, NFL expert.
1: Which is like... Sh- sh- show me where these NFL experts are that don't touch fantasy at all. I mean, I feel like that line's just shrinking by the day because, I mean, come on. like how-, how are you a good fantasy analyst? You're a good NFL analyst, and you also know what's going on.
0: There was a time, man, not long ago, a few years ago, when the beat writers and the, the old crusty NFL writers would mock fantasy football yeah
1: ridiculous
0: <laughs> as being uh frivolous and beneath them and those days are pretty much gone
1: i feel like 60 percent of beat writers could be replaced and they just fucking pretty much repeat whatever the main twitter account sends out i mean like it's it's just insane and that You know, we worry about 32 teams a week, so excuse me for not having much patience for these people that can't even go above and beyond to cover one team. I think about that, man, you gotta go to practices, okay? How much time do beat writers literally have to produce content and they do what? One or two articles per week, maybe send a practice update, then they just copy everything the main Twitter account says. So it's just, there are good ones out there, like in any job, but.
0: There are some really bad ones. The worst one is Tony Grossi is the worst. He is the absolute worst beat reporter in the world. Always asking Baker
1: those terrible questions.
0: I'm talking about guys that cover the Premier League, guys in India that cover cricket, Australian beat reporters, guys in Sydney that cover rugby. (laughs) Tony Grossi is the worst in the world.
1: I I hate him so much.
0: He is the worst. All right, let's do a show, buddy.
1: You ready? i to do it. Yeah.
0: Why? 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 Why not McCaffrey? Why not McCaffrey? Why not McCaffrey?
1: Of all the available targets in this offense and the comfy slot role that we've seen Bruce Arians use with Larry Fitzgerald,
0: Using that elite body control to convert uncontested catches on the outside and then fall down at the catch point. No, The other stuff, the positives. No. Take it easy. Like Mike Boone is happening. It's happening, folks. IT'S HAPPENING! WE GOT HIM! WE GOT HIM! BREAK OUT STAR, MIKE BOONE! WE GOT HIM! OH, I TOLD YOU TO STASH HIM FOR WEEKS! AND I WAS RIGHT! NO! TAKE IT EASY! I'M NOT A JARVIS LANDRY ENTHUSIAST, SO WHENEVER HE'S HIGH OWNED AND DOESN'T DELIVER IN DFS, I JUST CACKLE!
1: <laughs> LOOK, THIS EAGLE'S DEFENSE I know they got absolutely bamboozled by Devonte Parker. It knows. It knows. DraftKings knows. Except those at Player Profiler.
0: No, take it easy. He's a sixth-round rookie. We forgot. We forgot. It was the chest hair and the sunglasses, and I forgot he was a sixth-round fucking rookie. He really broke my heart. <laughs> I had way too much forehead. God damn you. It is what it is. The Eagles are saying, hey, listen, hey, listen, you can beat us on the outside. Just don't go up the middle on us. Please don't go up the middle. We're going to shut down the middle and you're going to have to beat us with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup.
1: And, uh, you know, we've lost some good pilots out there. Hollywood Brown, week three. Good guy. Uh, Kenny Galladay, Mark Ingram lost him as well. And most recently, Kyler Murray.
0: Great. What did you do?
1: We lost. Okay, what did you win? Nothing. I was about to say, I'm not about to reveal the helicopter yet. Yeah, it doesn't look out until Sunday. I mean, that would be bananas. It's scary when I put a butt on the end of that.
0: Why are you calling yourself Showtime? You're
1: golden. You're the golden Tate of the fantasy community, Mr. Potfather. The
0: depth chart is the depth chart. The projected snaps are the projected snaps. The projected routes are the projected routes. The projected targets are the projected targets. The projected receptions are the projected receptions. The projected yards are the projected yards. The projected touchdowns are the projected touchdowns. OJ freaking Howard. I already have Ian Thomas in the 2020 Scott Fish Bowl and the draft hasn't even happened yet.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah.
0: What happens when Joe Mixon's quarterback is Joe Burrow? This is fine.
1: Bengals is fine. Lined up as a pure running back, man. It was incredible. Nelson Aguilar. All oh, these are tilting players. Anyone that wants to call the all-time best kick returner in the history of the league a bust, you know, can get these hands, you know, can get these hands, can get these hands. Healthy David Johnson. Oh, he it. It's scary when I put a butt on the end of that. Well, that's how much you should like Justin Watson. It's scary when I put a butt on the end of that. The Buccaneers are going to break their
0: hymen in this week.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: I don't watch a lot of football. I'll be watching that game, baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Miles Sanders is a better football player than J.J. Arcega White. Sigh.
1: We got him!
0: We got him! Dynasty Leaguers, we got him! His name is Ishmael Hyman. It's scary when I put a butt on the end of that.